0: I remember one moment driving up one of the, the big party strips in in sydney it was i think i was on my way to a session it was 6am and there was some people still spilling out of the nightclubs and sitting in the gutters and, and that had been me in that exact spot um you know six months earlier and i felt so good and so healthy uh, out there driving to training kia
1: ora that was ben st lawrence i'm matt raymond i'm eugene bingham and this is Dirt Church Radio, interesting conversations with interesting runners. I don't know about you, but leading into the end of the year is always an exciting time. Lots of training happens, and my goodness me, my legs are smashed. And I've been leaning pretty heavy on the little purple capsules from the South Island, currents. all the goodness of eating a whole bushel of black currants with um, none of the concomitant sort of hassle or digestive issues that would probably arise. Um, Currants are so confident in their product and I know that people have been using them because we're hearing that people are buying them, people are loving them, that they will give you your money back if you don't experience the recovery difference. The recovery difference. Uh, And it says here, you could add some dirt church humour to it if you want. Well, we try every week and and just fail, so we'll just stick to the party line, and that is uh, use the code Do Church at currants.co.nz to get 20% off your first order, and if you don't love them, and they're not working for you, you're not getting the recovery benefits, you'll get your money back, currants.co.nz.
2: You know what's looking pretty fancy these days is the Wild Things Shop, which you get a pretty good discount for if you jump along to... WildThings.Club, avail yourself of the VIP membership, 15 months for the price of 12. If you use the code DCR2022, I know some people have been using that and getting amongst those deals on great gear and great trails in the trail directory as well. So much, so much. Get along. WildThings.Club, use the code DCR2022.
1: We are very lucky uh, lucky boys, as the Australians would say, and we are going to Kepler in a month, and one of the things I'm most excited about is hanging out with Rocky and Jules and Badger and Jacob at the Further Faster store down at Kepler. Um, I've never been to 57A Buchan Street in Christchurch in Sydenham, but my goodness me, uh, furtherfaster.co.nz, the best independently owned outdoors store in the known universe check them out they do fantastic things community-minded urban adventure races women's trial running nights guest speakers love hanging out love the outdoors love a party love a chat love dogs love us and and we love them so if you go to furtherfaster.co.nz and maybe go into the store and as always for a little christmas treat sing this jingle right into rocky's face and go something like, further faster there in Christchurch, Rocky is hairy and so is Badger. Jules is nice and Jacob is delicious, go further faster now Oh further faster there in Christchurch, Rocky is hairy and so is Badger. Jules is nice and Jacob is delicious, go further faster now Dirt Church Radio Episode 221 of the Dirt Church Radio trail running podcast We made it Barely <laughs> Like Far out,
2: Tape madness. Well, I
1: mean, taper madness. With all the injuries, all the injuries, uh, and incurable diseases that we've both got over the course of this week, it, it is. Um, That's right. It's a
2: wonder that that we that we'll be able to get on the plane. Oh, really, it's not going to happen. I'm just you know, all those fake injuries that I keep convincing myself <laughs> that I've got. Um, uh, mind, I got mind COVID. Um, yep. yeah I got fake COVID yep. I've had uh, yep. fake fake snapped Achilles Yep. Cheap Vista um, virus, bovine uh, leukemia, full of mouth it. disease. That's right. I've got everything. Not really. Tapers I
1: mean ta- yeah, tape that's is, a funny thing about oh. taper, isn't it? Man. But the hay the hay is in the barn to use yeah. to hark back to bovine leukemia, which is apparently something that the CIA started. I don't know. Um, the The training's done. Yep. The Sunday is made, the whipped cream is on top, the chopped peanuts have been put on, and now it's just that little glace cherry of going down and bloody running Kepler.
2: Oh, we forgot the hundreds and thousands.
1: I knew That's it. Right. I knew it. <laughs> With hundreds and thousands of other people, but man, yeah. I am mm-hmm. excited. Yes. I had a great run on um. Great run on saturday and sunday Mm. every every everyone and their grandmother was running around riverhead yeah and um yeah it was just brilliant Mm. just brilliant it was was. tell you what else is going to be brilliant
2: what that's our live show mate our live show yeah that's going to be great
1: 4 p.m on the day before the race which is a friday at the um Real NZ Events Centre, Race Central, and we're going to be upstairs in the Fjordland Lobster Room. Again, I can't emphasise this enough. If you're coming expecting like hand-tooled leather chairs and interesting cocktails, it's it's just the room that some people who are interested in lobster and Fjordland use, but we'll be there. Uh, and we've got probably our most stacked uh, live yeah. show ever. Um Fantastic guests from past episode. We've got Great Britain based running legend Sophie Grant from DCR One Hundred One. Dan Jones Kiwi. of winning. Kiwi. Yeah, you're Great Britain based, mate. Yeah, yeah. She's a Kiwi. Yeah. She's yeah. raced for Great Britain a couple of times though. She has, though. Yeah, maybe she yeah, maybe, maybe she slipped when she was that. entering. Mm. Yeah,
2: because mm. you don't. Um, I, mean, I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? When you do that drop down menu and you see, it's you yeah. got to go all the way down to N, and you could just go to G and you go. Yeah, maybe that's I just right. go G. Yeah.
1: I often anyway, find sorry, that. Sorry, like, I think I've when got I've been, No, no, when, I, when I'm on the New Zealand athletics website representing New Zealand for athletics, yeah. I often end up with like New Caledonia or New yes. Netherlands. Yeah,
2: Namibia. Anyway, yeah. Dan Jones, Kiwi boy
1: of, um, you may know him from winning everything recently this year, uh, current Auckland marathon champ, current Queenstown marathon champ, current. Kepler champ, won it four times on the trot. Current um, hunter
2: and fisher person.
1: That's right, Whakatane boy. We've got uh, Brody Jean Kane from DCR204 and Steve Norris from the Kepler Challenge Committee who's fantastic chat and he's been on a fair few times himself. So come down and pitch up and uh, we'll be there as well and it's going to be a
2: grand old time. It's going to be an awesome time. Uh, also coming up, uh, next month, just, just, just still hanging on to November, uh, we're going to do our annual Dirt Church Radio Informal Awards, the awards ceremony with no awards and no ceremony. Uh, we, we record our final show of the year with one and only Andrew McDowell. Um, we want your help. So look out on our social medias and get thinking about performances this year that deserve a shout out on that show. Uh, and We'll, we'll uh, pop out some categories real soon. But this week... This week, uh, it was
1: a bloody rip snorter of a conversation. Ben St Lawrence, running royalty in Australia, oh. um, the fifty kilometre champ at Ultra Trail Australia, uh, former Australian and Oceania record holder at the ten thousand metres. He competed at the two thousand and twelve London Olympics. He competed at uh, Commonwealth Games. He's Two world championships, two cross country, um, world cross country events, and two Commonwealth Games. 5,000 meter PB of 1310. Not 3110. I read it correctly. 1310. 10,000 meter PB of 2724.
2: And read him and weep. He's a 214 marathoner. Yeah. Now. I was just thinking 1310. Imagine that. Imagine if you laid that out on a park run. <laughs> <laughs> With a pram
1: and a dog on a lead. <laughs> Look, we're not going to go into it because it, you know yep. you get bashful and I get upset. But you have a you have a you have a very tidy five thousand meter PB. And oh, but nowhere near thirteen
2: ten. <laughs> no, no, that's,
1: and that's the point. Like you have a very tidy uh, yeah. five thousand meter PB that lots and lots of people would take that home, sure. straight yeah. to the pool room. Yeah. Um, goodness me, thirteen ten. That's like. Oh i mean you can't even defrost a bag of m- microwave chicken that quickly can you anyway no. um yeah this is so much more though than
2: can you, you even do it in Fourteen? Super-
1: i don't know <laughs> <could>. <laughs> but this is again you have a very tidy marathon pb and sure. this
2: smacks yours into a bin it does. so yeah, yeah it's 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 incredible um but it's it's much more. We, we I mean we're much, dwelling on his times more. and stuff. But that's yeah. we hardly talked about that in this conversation. No. We really we got into some real talk with him, didn't we? And you know he's so I mean I, I you know running near alert, but but he is he's got a great human story to tell, and he's not mm. afraid to tell it uh, of you know being in the being in the doldrums, and he talks about being mm. a rock bottom. Um, you know, and then coming out of that, and then sort of reinventing himself as an incredible, incredible runner. So, yeah, yeah it's it's, it's much more than uh, PBs and and uh, numbers. That's for sure. This combo.
1: In fact, I, I don't think we even really. I mean, he, the, no. the way he tells it, you know, he he lays into his sort of UTA fifty uh, journey, and 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 the way he tells it is is not how how it played out. Isn't how how you might think and also if you if you're sitting there going oh yeah i'm sure he had a hard time after he went to the olympics whatever mm. um again have yeah. a listen it's, listen it's not what you yeah. would expect
2: radio. Mm. No. No.
1: two huge local events in tamaki makoto over the weekend on saturday it was the hanua hillbilly so it was originally meant to debut last year but got delayed um because of the COVID, and it was this race some something that's near and dear to a lot of people's hearts um, Mm. in tribute to and celebrating the life of steve neary who's been you know he was a running legend uh and just lovely dude um family man and was taken from us far too soon uh, six years ago, and so you know, um, Steve was a, a South Auckland boy, and you know, loved the Haurora Rangers and and this was, this looked totally gnarly. Um, the first was sixty k. Was oh, it two thousand four hundred? Two thousand four hundred like meters on the sixty k. Yeah, yeah. You um, consider Kepler's like thirteen hundred, there mm. thereabouts. Mm. You know, so double that that's like a wu2k kind of and and hanua is no joke uh, no, give nally, you an indication of trials. how mm. give you an indication of how tough the race was um troy field legend runner um seven eleven fifty four in first place if, if troy fields t- t- doing it in seven eleven, i mean i'd still be I'd still be out there to steal a <laughs> phrase from a steal a <laughs> phrase from another podcast. I'd bite my arm off for seven eleven fifty-four. Um, Glenn Chesterman, seven thirty-six, Matt Gummer, seven fifty-nine thirty. Claire Cook, um, first home in nine thirty-eight seventeen. Sarah Bauer, nine forty-six twenty-seven, and Sarah Russell, ten oh seven.
2: Twelve great times there from Claire Sarah and, and Sarah as well 100%. amazing, yeah uh, look, it was also the final wild Auckland event by lactic Turkey out of Piha on Sunday, and it it featured the the half Hillary, which I guess hopefully hopefully is mm. the tempting precursor to the return fingers and toes crossed of the you know a race favorite really uh, it 's been missing from the calendar not due to COVID, but due to Kairi Dieback, the Hillary. Uh, Anyway, but they they managed to get the half Hillary in at this Wild Auckland event at at Pihar, and wild it was. They got four seasons in one day. I saw there was need for sunblock and storm gear by the (laughs) end. In fact, how's this? It smoked the timing system. So I went to check on the results, and basically this is up on the website. Um, the result's going to take a while, the massive rain and wind destroyed the timing tent and flooded the laptop and timing decoder box, which are the brains of the system of course at one stage we had five people struggling to hold the tent down after the pegs were ripped out and after, and after you, know, uh, you know, just ended up tying it to a ute it was just, oh, bananas, the best that the Waitakere Rangers can throw at it I imagine it would have been sandy too
1: Whoosh. Oh, like
2: just sort of having been
1: under that easy up and in some mm. in that very same easy up and some weather with all that gear when the rain starts, to cut, it, it's pretty. You know, pretty you're scrambling heckers. around, but yeah. nothing, nothing yeah. like that. Yeah. My goodness!
2: But you know, both those races were hugely supported and looked amazing. Uh, I wonder if anyone did mm. the double. Yeah, I was wondering
1: that too. I haven't heard of anyone mm. doing. I, I mean, no one, no one that I know has done it. But mm. if you have, if, if, you, if you were you know if you've woken up yet from that um sounds like a yeah sounds like a greatest run ever mate oh, i was gonna do the jingle sounds like a greatest, greatest, run 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 ever. Ever. greatest run ever greatest run ever which is the part of the show where we ask you to write into us and tell us your greatest run ever it doesn't have to be a racer mountain summit that time you did the double hill hillbilly and the half the half hillary, hillary. It's a little bit alliterative might just be a run around the block something that's sung to you for some reason send them in to us at radio at gmail.com this one's cool as it's 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 another first for the books it's a double first for the books and this is from emily marfell from awateri valley in marlborough i felt a bit greedy having a go at another greatest run ever so this one is short and sweet it falls into a few sub genres including marine animal and greatest teacher only day run and i think this might be A first Mm. teacher-only day run from a teacher.
0: Mm.
1: I got out early in the dark on my favourite 12-kilometre farm loop. It was, as mentioned, a teacher-only day, so I'd wing time off work to hang out with my six- and eight-year-old. Ah, there we go. Okay. Not a teacher. Not a teacher. Sorry. Winged time off work to hang out with my six- and eight-year-old Sparks. It was a perfect freestyle day with no set plans and could include bug hunting, jigsaw puzzling, and adventuring up the creek. To make it even better, I was keen to get some endorphins and stretch my legs first. This was a November morning. Dawn was getting earlier every day and the promise of summer was real. I put in a moderate effort up the grassy climbs and then was rewarded as I cruised around the smooth, skinny sheep tracks toward the beach. Out in front of me, the orange glow turned a tinfoil flat cooked straight from monochrome to colour. I made it down to the pebble beach and today it was lapping rather than raging. I was stoked to find that the tide was out so I could pin my ears back and do my best fake Kipchogee charge along the hard angled grey sand. (laughs) Up ahead, something unusual caught my eye. It was moving like something alive and yet it looked like a broken umbrella rolling about in the gentle waves. Next thing, I was standing over a little blue penguin, a kōroa. Cord order. Sorry, uh, he wasn't really moving too well and it wasn't evident that and it was evident that he'd broken his leg without Aww. thinking much I yeah, I know I whipped off my singlet and wrapped him up like fish and chips And then morphed into Dan Carter running home with a little blue penguin tucked under my arm <laughs> <laughs> That poor penguin <laughs> The fish and chips difference yeah, exactly. Morphed, I morphed into Dankart, running home with a little bluebird tucked under my arm. The children were into it. In seconds, they came out. Out came a cardboard box, sprinklings of lawn clippings, a saucer of water, and some towels. The good towels for guests were sent back <laughs> to be replaced <laughs> with old towels. Then we began a social media hunt to find someone to help Pebble. Please note, we had no idea if he was a he, and he didn't tell us, so we were being presumptuous. We hope that's okay. I, for one, am appalled. That you misgendered that penguin But anyway Pretty yeah. soon we'd found us <laughs> What would you say? Yeah, Ia yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right Exactly Pretty soon we'd found ourselves The best adventure It transpired that the place for him Was the Eco World Aquarium in Picton An hour's drive away So after wet bix Teeth and shoes We were off We ran some errands on the way And you should have seen the shop guy's eyes When he was told Matter of factly That we had a penguin in the boot He'd come out to have a disbelieving look At the aquarium Ah, he'd come out to have a disbelieving look at the aquarium the kind staff inspected pebble they decided that he was very skinny and weak and agreed that his leg was broken they took him out the back to the staff only area we were allowed to go to it says and put him in a special warming box that was the last we saw of Pebble. he was flown to the amazing Te kohanga animal hospital at wellington zoo where they operated and successfully pinned his leg sadly some weeks later he succumbed to a respiratory infection we found out that the warmer sea temperatures had been hard on seabirds as the fish were deeper and the birds were not able to feed as easily, so they were in poorer condition. Despite the sad ending, it was a wonderful way to learn about this. We didn't know that all of the time we didn't know that all of the time though. Job done, we had a happy wonder on the Picton foreshore, terrorized the amazing pirate ship playground, and demolished some sausage rolls on the way home. A teacher only day to remember, and it all started one of those greatest runs that you hope you get to do a thousand times again.
2: Oh, Emily Smacked it out of the park. Yeah, you did.
1: That sounds like a greatest day ever. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And props to you like just diving in there with your singlet to, to, to mm. scoop up that penguin. I probably would just be I don't know. Hmm. No. And not well, not yeah. in terms of like, oh you
2: shouldn't have done that. Like, I mean I'm a no, cow no, no. It. Yeah, yeah. Well <laughs> it's a, a little <laughs> baby <laughs> penguin. Um but <laughs> getting him him being flown to Wellington too. Yeah. amazing oh <laughs> oh oh well R.I.P. little pebble but what a great greatest run ever yeah I 100%. think first on a couple that's the first penguin marine animal entry isn't it yeah we've had dolphins
1: we've had orcas yes. we've had yeah it's
2: the first aquatic first bird. penguin mm, yeah mm, there you go alright thank you Emily the rest of you keep sending them in to church radio at gmail.com com.
1: right On with the interview, Ben St. Lawrence, as we said at the top, UTA 50K champ, former Australian Oceania record holder, uh, boy from Bulabara in the Blue Mountains. This is an incredible chat, honest, raw, funny, Um, just someone who strikes me as... You know, has been involved in running for a long time and continues to search for deeper meaning, reflect joy, and engage in the discipline of the sport we all love so much. So please enjoy Dirt Church Radio. Running legend Ben St Lawrence, welcome to Dirt Church Radio. How you doing, man?
0: I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me on, guys. Looking forward to this conversation.
1: Oh man, we've been. St- Ever since we you, we saw you streak past us on the trails at at UTA, we, th- we thought we probably should get that dude on the uh, catch that man, catch that man. <laughs> yeah, actually, I tried. I ran after you for about ten feet with the mic, but you are gone. Um, I mean, congratulations on your on your win at UTA fifty. Um, how 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 was that? How how that race go for you?
0: Yeah, it was awesome. Um, it was the longest race I've ever done. Um, so there was a you know a bit of trepidation there. Also it's a you know I'm a Blue Mountains local so there was a bit of um, you know really wanting to win one of the bigger races in my local community um but also just wanting to get involved in in that community and the big festival of running um that is UTA I had raced the 22 before and the, and the 951 stair challenge um and had crew uh friends and athletes that I coach in the 100k but um you know I'm, I'm 41 now and looking at moving into some of the longer distance races. So the 50 was sort of a bit of a taster, stepping up above the marathon distance. And, uh, yeah, couldn't have asked for a a better day. Um, A really close race with two other, you know, tough runners and um, kept it interesting out there. And and to come away with a really narrow victory, I was really happy. I
1: mean, mean, certainly they they looked really super strong. Hey, um, was it... Was it like that the whole way? I mean, you looked super composed. You were just, you seemed like you tucked up behind them, just kind of biding your time.
0: Yeah, look, once the um, new course was announced, um, obviously starting with 10K on the road, um, and given my background of more road and track running, I thought, you know, potentially that might be one of my stronger parts. So I, I should probably, you know, get out pretty hard and at least establish a bit of a lead or try to make, You know, some some guys are stronger on the trail sections, at least make them work a bit harder on the road section early on. Um, I had been training, you know, quite well on the trails and had been really getting ready and was looking forward to the climb out of Jamison Valley up Kodumba, uh, you know, sorry, from Cadumba up um, all the way up to the base of Ferber Stairs. So with the course change, we weren't looking at that finish. But um, on the day, I just wasn't feeling great on the road sections and I had established a bit of a gap early on, but Ronnie caught me Just by the end of the road section and then we hit the trails together and i thought okay two horse race here you know let's let's see how we go we're going to be out here for quite a while nothing crazy early on and then once we got past the fairmont we're heading down a set of stairs and um this other guy had no idea who he was turned out to be peter the polish guy who lives down in tassie he came bombing up behind us and he said oh what why are you guys going so slow are you taking it easy or something i was like oh he's trash talking as well as catching I think it was a genuine question he he seemed like he was surprised that that we hadn't established more of a lead on the road section um and then we sort of settled into a bit of a you know we chatted a little bit, but we were also running quite quite hard in it. It seemed that those guys were quicker on the the technical downhills, and then I was quicker at the stair climb, so we ran together for a bit but also separated you know by you know a hundred meters here and there, depending on our strengths and weaknesses, and I think we saw you guys. Were you with Mark Green out? Yeah, 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 so yeah. We saw you just as we descended back down. Sorry, down to the, the first creek crossing at the top of Wentworth Falls, um, and that was that was a downhill section. So the guys were probably a little bit ahead of me there. But then we, as we climbed back out of the creek, um, I caught them again, and we ran together on the out and back section along Tableland Road, and then as we came back down the rocky section. Uh, to cross the creek again for the second time on the way back at the top of Wentworth Falls they absolutely hammered that downhill and I just you know decided not to take too many risks at that point but to try to run you know at a at a pace that I felt like I could hold for the rest of the course and I did know that that course fairly well and it was pretty hard letting them go at that point and then you know they got such a lead on that downhill that there was a few switchbacks afterwards and they ran out of sight for a while and you know you do think is that them gone am I now running for third but then I knew there was a lot of running left, so just kept running to what I felt was my sort of threshold that I could hold. And after every long uphill, I would sort of catch them again, and then they might put a bit of of a gap on me again on the downhill, and we continued like that until the Fairmont. Um, And then on the road section, where I thought, okay, you know, I might be able to get back ahead of them here, I have a really strong section. That was actually my weakest section of the race was on the road. So sort of contrary to what many people would have thought and what I thought, Leading into the race, I was actually quite slow on the roads at that point. so I was really relying on my stair climbing um, and thinking about the course that lay between the Fairmont and the finish. Uh, I knew there was plenty of that coming up, so I didn't panic when they got ahead of me on the downhills and just tried to catch them again on the uphills and we sort of seesawed like that until we came around the final cliff top section around Prince Henry Henry Cliff Walk leading up to the three sisters at Echo Point there. I managed to catch and pass Peter there and get right onto the back of Ronnie. We came around and there's the road section between Echo Point and then when you hit the trails at Katoomba Cascades for that final trail section and then up the last part of Ferber Stairs and uh, Ronnie was hammering the road around there and I just was work- having to work really hard to keep on him and I thought, I don't know if I can beat this guy but turns out that he he had forgotten about the-, the last section up Ferber and so for him that was the kick for home but thankfully I left one more change of gears in the tank so bombed the last little downhill to hit the the base of Ferber and, and he was right there and I, I managed to climb a bit faster than Ronnie but just as I passed Ronnie on the, the ladders up Ferber I looked over my shoulder and Peter was right there as well so I think it's less than 500 meters at that point and we we're essentially all still together and I think that's quite rare in a 50k and given my track and road background I never envisaged uh, a kickdown occurring on a set of ladders but that's kind of what it was and I managed to get ahead and climbed as hard as I could and then just tried to, to run up the last stairs and, and sprint sprint to the finish and i I ran past some some friends and family along that finishing stretch and i just asked one of them i said is there anyone behind me and they said no you've got this and so i was able to enjoy the last few hundred meters and it ended up being only 30 seconds ahead of ronnie and one minute ahead of peter so a good close race and and they were great guys and really tough competitors so i was happy to come away with the win
2: how fantastic Mm. i mean that's what it's all about isn't it i mean you know to to have um tried your hand at at a long distance and then to basically come down to a track race and yeah. uh, finish like that <laughs> in on familiar Ground a little bit. Did you actually pass uh, Ronnie on the stairs?
0: Yeah, on on the on like, so I think he was in survival mode at that point and you come up a couple of metal sort of staircase ladder type things. Um and I got I was coming up quite fast on him and, and sort of got behind him on the first section and a very good sport that he was, he he stepped aside and let me pass like between the two sets of ladders and then i sort of managed to create a gap there but you know i'm sure if he'd had anything left in his legs he would he probably wouldn't have let me pass and and would have you know fought all the way up the ladders but out. once once you're in survival (laughs) mode yeah (laughs) so no it it was great
2: yeah oh how fantastic and you know given that it was your first crack at at 50k how did you find it what was the what was your takeaway
0: yeah, it's, I, I think and look to a lot of your listeners, fifty k's is not a long way. But to me, oh, my longest oh, race—it's a long way. four hours. Yeah, four hours, of, <laughs> almost four hours of running. I think patience was was a real key for me. Um, and so, you know, in a, in a track race or even a you know a shorter road race, you wouldn't really let gaps like that form. Um, mm. You know, if a gap like that formed, that would sort of be the race over. So it was it was it was hard for me to sort of let that happen, but. You know, I've, I've coached enough um, people to these type of events and listened to podcasts and read books. It's like, you know, trust your own your own strengths and weaknesses and, and run to the best of your ability, and often the course will take care of um, the rest. And so, yeah, I think definitely, few, like, there's a lot of elements that go into these longer races that you don't need to think about um, in the shortest stuff. So even footwear choice was a tough one when it was going to be half road a bit of bit of fire trails some muddy single trails so footwear choice and there's fueling and all the mandatory gear and that sort of thing so um i think that's that side of this uh trail running really interests me and i find it um you know something different and, and different things to focus on than just the same thing that i've been doing for a number of years leading up to that in the shorter races
2: yeah it's interesting isn't it because i mean yeah you're exper- you know 214 marathon runner mm. you you know how that rolls uh and yet this is it's it's yeah it's quite different isn't it again
0: it, yeah yeah well, you are out there almost twice as long so yeah i think um you know in marathons you can have rough patches and still come good and i think obviously out there for 4 hours you probably can have more rough rough patches and still come good so my mantra was just yeah just just keep moving forward and and you know see how the day pans out and i really wanted to win but also i might have come third and still been really happy with you know how the day mm. went so
2: yeah mm. Yeah. How do you, how do you, do you, did you think that you sort of had that innate um, patience always as a runner? Or was it something you had to learn that kind of race craft, knowing that I don't have to squeeze, you know, I don't have to cash all my checks right now? You know, it's something that lots of runners struggle with is pacing, but, and, and just patience. But is that something you, you always had or, or have you learned it?
0: Uh, It's definitely something that I learned. Um, even on a much smaller scale, in you know, 10k track races, you you can't spend all your bickies early on. You can't make you know big moves um, too early in the race, and, and then you'll have nothing in your legs later. So, I learnt to become quite a patient um, and tactical 10k runner, and then. Um, my debut marathon, I, I went through in 65 minutes and ended up running 224. So I certainly wasn't patient that day. <laughs> Learned from my mistake there and, and, and ran a lot better in my second marathon, which is where I ran my 214 pb on the Gold Coast. So I think with anyone who's super competitive, that patience doesn't necessarily come naturally. You want to get in the race, you want to lead, you want to break records, you want to destroy your competition. And, and look, if you're clearly the fittest person in the race and, and you're in good shape, you can do that kind of thing. But, when you're very evenly matched and, and it I kind of was on, on on the day with um Peter and Ronnie. Yeah, if I had tried to destroy them early in the race and, and put, you know, huge gaps on a win by a mile, I would have blown up and, and who knows, mm. maybe DNF'd or finished tenth or something. So um I think it's a learned skill and it's not something that once you learn it you then nail it every time. Like I'll probably make mistakes again in, in future races, but definitely stepping into longer distances, it's about um relearning where your limits are and how i think this was a tricky course like you know am i running too hard up these stairs is you know how hard should i push the the road section out on tableland? and and so that was sort of stepping into the unknown and through i guess a little bit of um planning but also a bit of luck I, i seem to nail it on the weekend and we'll take a lot away from that leading into the next one but i think every course is unique and and you know the condition you go into every race is probably unique in if you're carrying injuries or if training's gone well, mm. that sort of thing. So I think, yeah, the, the easiest way for me to stuff this race up was to go way too hard, too early. So it was, it almost took the pressure off having to try to do that. So the fact that we were still all together at, um, you know, past halfway, I thought, okay, you know, you're being mm. smart here and, and hopefully you'll have a strong run to the finish.
1: It's that talk of the racecraft, isn't it? And, that's a learned skill like you you said I mean taking it back to you know your your days when you were focusing on 5,000 10,000 meters when was it when did you realize that it was something that you could excel at
0: um well I ran I've been running since I was sort of eight years old and and was quite good at, at a school level and so I always knew I had um I guess, uh, good genetics and, and that if I could focus enough on training and, and, you know, making a, a long-term commitment to putting the work in, I thought I had the, the physical capabilities to be good. Um, but I, I did take quite a break from running when I was around 18 years old, had about five years off and put on a lot of weights and, and drank a lot. And so it looked like the thought of being an elite level runner was well in the past, but then at about 23, 24, I started running again just for good health and fitness and was improving rapidly by running every day and and joined with a a group in Sydney um, with my coach, Sean Williams, back in 2006 and was improving rapidly. And um, I think a real breakthrough race for me was in 2007 in our state 3K championships. I I won the championship there and ran a a huge PB, ran 7.55 for 3K. and, And that was off, you know, only a couple of years of, Of training and I thought if I can you know win a state championship still fairly new to to taking this sport very seriously I thought maybe I could um, you know not just look at being nationally uh, state and nationally competitive but sort of set my sights on trying to see if I could represent Australia in the future and from Mm. 2006 to 2011 when I I ran you know my fastest 5k and 10k on the track and qualified for my first Olympics I, I pretty much didn't didn't miss a single day of training for that five years in a row and, and just wow. had some ups and downs, but kept improving pretty much the whole time and, yeah, ended up breaking the Australian record in the 10,000 metre and ran at the London Olympics and some Commonwealth Games and World Championships. So, yeah, from from being a non, non-running, non early 20s, binge-drinking, uh, yeah, guy who never looked like he was going to get into running, I'm now 41 and, and just am- so glad I made that change and mm. got into running.
1: When you're at university, I mean, again, you've been you've been open about that. Were you studying anything athletic related, or what was it? Sort of, I, what, I, what do you think it sort of led? Not led down the path, but it's it's quite the shift, and it's quite the shift back. Hey,
0: yeah, yeah. I was. I was studying uh, human movement, which is exercise science essentially, and uh, social science, psychology. So. I had started those two degrees looking at getting into sports psychology. Um, I ended up shifting into, um, yeah, corporate health and well-being and then into coaching now full-time myself. But, um, yeah, look, it was weird. I, I initially got into the drinking thinking this was going to be a, a one-year thing, get it out of the system, get my partying done and then really focus on running. So every New Year's resolution during that time when I was, you know, drinking heavily and partying hard – Every New Year's resolution was that this is the year I'm going to get back into running. And, and so it was always there. It was always on my mind. I, I was still a fan of the sport. I would watch it, at, you know, at the, at the Olympics, world champs. I started, you know, following athletes on, on social media and in the early days of, you know, um, let's run on, on, uh, on the internet, that sort of thing. But then I just couldn't commit to the lifestyle I needed to get into running. So it probably wasn't until I kind of hit rock bottom or maybe just grew out of that adolescent stage that lasted longer than it should have, that I I finally was able to just commit to the work that re- was required to get fit.
1: Oh, man. And
0: and you've also
1: been open about, you know, thinking about that. You know, you had that epical moment, which you describe as your rock bottom or that part where you were like, I have actually got to make a change here and it's got to stick. Yeah. Um, <sighs> Was it focusing on a goal, or was it more of a process that kind of got you out of your funk? Because it's interesting, isn't it? We always think about those New Year's re- resolutions. I wanted to get your ideas as a coach and someone who's, you know, a, a student of the, a student of human movement, be it literal or sort of metaphorical. Did you still have that goal, or was it more of a a process that you embarked on that got you there in the end?
0: In, in the very early days, it was. Um, it was process driven I guess the goal wasn't like I had gone so far the other way that it didn't seem likely that I could be an elite runner or a very fast runner so the goal initially was just just to get healthy and just to move and you know to put into place a lot of the things I had learned through my degree about you know training and, and health promotion and that sort of thing so initially I you know I bought a bike and I started riding places rather than driving places and I would try to I told myself if if I didn't run yesterday, I have to run today. And so that was a way of making sure I ran at least every second day. And it was just those little things. And the first couple of weeks were were definitely the hardest. And, you know, the next few weeks got a little bit easier and then started to develop a habit. And then every now and then I'd I'd be out on a run and I'd just say, all right, I'm going to see how fast I can run to that tree. And there there was no GPS or anything like that. And I would sort of pick up the pace and who knows, like I felt like I was flying, but you know, compared to, to these days, I probably wasn't. But then I started thinking, wow, you know, my body's really starting to adapt to, to this work I'm giving it. And so then I looked at some small community races and and then started using those as little goals to work towards. But I think um, practically speaking, I was definitely process driven. It was more about um, ticking off those days of training and trying to, um, you know, pile weeks of, of good habits on end. And I would sort of Write down and record how long I'd gone without a bender and without getting, you know, blind drunk. And I was able to go longer each time between those, um, those sort of relapses. And, and yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't too much longer until that sort of became a habit. And then I think moving to, you know, I moved in with another guy, um, who was really fit and healthy and he introduced me to my coach, Sean. Then I joined this big group of, um, you know, recreational all the way up to sub-elite runners in Sydney. And so then I think I was able to have running as a social outlet as well. And when I was young, that was always one of the barriers to focusing on running. It was either go out training on my own, you know, working hard training or I can go out, hang out with my mates and have fun. And so in this environment that I found myself in in Sydney, it was a little bit of both. It was training and, you know, there was – I remember one moment driving – up one of the the big party strips in in Sydney, it was. I think I was on my way to a session. It was six a.m. and there were some people still spilling out of the nightclubs and sitting in the gutters. And, and that had been me in that exact spot, um, you know, six months earlier. And I felt so good and so healthy uh, out there driving to training. Um, I think one of my uh, one of my realization moments, or, or this happened a couple of times, would be walking home from a big night out. Uh, the sun's up. And I'd be, you know, feeling terrible, hangover kicking in, um, or still drunk. And I'd see these people out already up doing their morning runs. And I just had, would always have these sort of really down moments thinking that should be what I'm doing. Why am I, why do I keep doing this to myself? Uh, and then that day driving to the park to train and, and I thought, wow, I've actually made the shift. Now I'm the healthy one up out here going for a run. I'm not the guy mm-hmm. out there, you know, sitting in a gutter after a huge night out. So yeah, I think i guess getting like getting into that um that community also really helped and and helped to lift me up and, and yeah kept me honest and you know you guys know what it's like once you start training with other people you you're not you're not just showing up for yourself you're showing up for your training partners and and that really helped to motivate me and i i just kept improving and then once once i was that was my new addiction i was hooked on running and, and pretty much haven't looked back since
2: mm that's i mean that's yeah the the whole sense of community isn't it and knowing that um you know that's such an important message for people who are in that situation where they are the ones you know feeling bad about themselves or feeling that should be me and stuff you know you've you've it's possible you can do it you can find a way out you know it's like all hope is not lost isn't
0: it yeah absolutely it's just you just got to start and and the body mm. is an amazing thing and It'll be hard at first, but it'll get easier and, you know, you can yeah. do it more, but you got to start yeah. somewhere. Mm,
2: yeah. You know, you progressed, and I guess one of the things I picked up on was that consistency of training and how important that was to your development. It's just, you know, consistency is everything, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Um, people often ask me for my, like, one piece of advice, and I'm sure they'd normally want something more interesting, but I think it really boils down to consistency and Turning days into weeks, weeks into months. And if you can put, put months and turn those into years, then, you know, that's when you start to reach your potential. And I think program structure and micro cycles, macro cycles, um, sessions, they're all, they're all really important and some of the nuances of that. But essentially, if you can just keep running and, and, and stack weeks of, of running on end, um, you're going to improve. Um, mm. but I think finding a way to be consistent is, is the key. Um, and whether that is, you know, joining a training group, um, getting a coach, or signing up for events to keep you honest, um, yeah, that that consistency is is key.
2: Mm, mm, just commitment. You have also had, um, you know, you heard you talk about looking up to the the Melbourne Commonwealth Games and and seeing the um, you know results there and 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 being inspired by that. And then, you know, I mean, the Craig era, which is a phenomenal time in Australian running um, must've been so inspiring for you. And then as you say, surrounding yourselves with, a, with amazing runners, including Adrian Blinko would have been of that era as well. I imagine when you, when you were racing. So you know, shout out for the Kiwi, but um, you know, that's, it's another part of it too, is, is striving for, to, for improvement by seeing people around you.
0: Yeah. I think I was really lucky to come through um, just after Craig Mottram you know was dominating the scene um so i had seen an aussie out there you know i had actually watched his race at the the melbourne commonwealth games and was hugely inspired by that um and it's interesting you bring up adrian blinko um he was part of the, the melbourne track club that i was um part of i was managed by nick bidot for, for most of my career and so i was trained with blinks and um i don't know if you know mike ash as well he was around in the early days so Plenty of Kiwi connections there, and yeah, like I said, fo- following in Mottram's footsteps to a degree, or, or just having seen what he did and, and been absolutely inspired by that. Um, and then Collis Birmingham was, um, uh, around you know the era of myself and Blinks, and we had some Americans training with us, so we we're sort of this international um crew of runners who, um, I guess high performance was almost just expected and so once you surround yourself with those people it's um it's just what you do and it's uh, you sort of lift each other up and i wouldn't say we were like driven to beat each other it was more we felt like we were taking on the world and, and sort of doing it together so yeah there was um the community of my group in sydney and my coach and my training partners but then this other community of melbourne track club who i i trained and traveled with and and who had you know scaled the heights of, of running so I sort of had those people to mentor me you know as I came mm. through relatively mm. unknown
2: mm. that so that I mean that's the the cliche isn't it? As running's a especially long distance running's a lonely sport but what you're describing is is a, almost a team environment
0: yeah look at it, it when it comes down to it you've got to be um very self-motivated and it is an individual sport but it's hard enough as it is you don't need to make it harder than it is by turning your daily training environment into a super competitive one and trying to beat people in sessions and that sort of thing. I think you're better off using um, teammates and training partners to, yeah, elevate the whole group. Um, and that's definitely the culture that we had in, in pretty much all of the training groups I've been involved with and what we try to promote uh, in Run Crew, the, the group that I'm a coach of and co-founder of. It's, um, yeah, it's it's an individual sport best performed as a team. So. Hmm. If you can find good training partners and good people to have on your team and even, you know, looking into ultra running, good good people to have on your crew and, and you know, things like that, it can make a huge difference and um, it's so much more rewarding when you've achieved things as part of a team as well. Mm.
1: It almost goes deeper. One of the things that struck me about UTA, and I think it's because you guys, you know, bigger population, there's, there's just there's five times more of you, um, it, oh, there was some teams, but there was a bunch of gangs too. And I reflected, you know, in other areas of life, when you form that kind of, that, that team, that sort of, but it, it can almost be, and I, I mean that in the most positive way, that sort of mob mentality, you know, you group together and it's, it's, it's all for one and one for, it really elevates today past that, past the sum of its parts almost.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. And I think, <clears throat> I think going through adversity together also makes those bonds stronger. And so people, you know, might go through some tough sessions together, tough races, or even trips away to races. And and I think, I guess, um, a sh- you know, shared misery sometimes brings people closer together. Mm-hmm. And even the best races, there are moments of misery. And, and I think it's also that element of no one really gets it other than people who are actually going through it and, and have been there. So, yeah, i guess that's um that sort of strengthens those bonds and, and elevates it from yeah team to a gang and possibly verging on a cult God. who knows <laughs> running
1: well it's true i mean that's the thing it's uh, christopher mcdougall makes the point like if you were to look down on say i don't know the berlin marathon uta if you were to look down on uta from space and go man that looks like a nice place to hang out and then you'd sort of zoom in a bit you'd be like what are they doing there's lots of, there's lots of the, what are they up to? You know, it's that, yeah. it's that sense. Um, and I guess as well, it's the thing of when you're running, uh, I don't know if it's necessary for track, but if you're doing a long training run with a bunch of buddies, I mean, talk about sort of shared adversity, you know, someone's always had a bad time at work or, you know, this significant other has, yeah, there's been a com or something's going on always, isn't it? It's, it? It takes on that even more sort of an, an intimacy,
0: right? Yeah, definitely. I think um, yeah, the chats that you'll have on a long run are often far deeper and and sort of far more personal than what you might talk about over a coffee or you know at the pub, that sort of thing. I think it's um, yeah, it really opens up honest and forthright conversations and like a lot of shit talking, obviously, and a lot of a lot of jokes and that sort of thing. But if you run with the same people on Sundays for long enough, you, you're going to touch on pretty much any topic and. I think that's a really good opportunity, um, yeah, to talk and to get to know people, and yeah, to help people when they're having rough times, but also to be helped when you're having a rough time.
2: Mm. Yeah, especially as males, eh? Mm. It's it's difficult to sit opposite each other and express ourselves, but if you're running alongside each other and you're you're both in the hurt box, or, or or even not, you're just enjoying a long run. It's it's a lot easier to kind of open up and talk.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Mm.
0: So one
1: again. I'm really interested you've been open about this and you know you went from this kind of you're studying you know the psychology of movement the psychology of psychology and um, you know you're not healthy and then you're in, you're sort of within a matter of say five years later you're you know elite level you know going on to represent your country in the Olympics and the things you've accomplished but you also talked about how the fact that you perhaps you not swung too far, the other. or you did swung too far the other way and sort of your nutrition became an issue that you, you perhaps, were you too stringent with it or did you fall into the trap of, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm running track, so I must sort of look a certain
0: way? Yeah, I, I definitely swung a bit too far into the, um, uh, you know, when when I first got into running, I was still, carrying a bit of the weight that I had from all of those days partying. So I got it in my head that I was too big to be an elite runner and that I had to keep trying to get lean. And if I had actually just focused on good nutrition and doing the training, then I would have ended up the body type I needed to be to perform well. But I sort of um, yeah, probably had, I don't know whether you'd you'd say an eating disorder or maybe I just was restricting calorie intake too much and I think it it affected my health um, and my performance uh, a number of times like you can get away with it for a little while but eventually you are either going to get sick or you're going to break down with injury and um, yeah I sort of look back on it now and, and with the information that's out there now about relative energy deficiency and you know so many podcasts with people who've gone through it and with nutritionists and medical experts so I think if I knew now what I sorry, if I knew then what I know now, I could have saved myself um, a couple of terrible seasons and possibly a couple of injuries. But I think it was probably a carryover from the fact that I did feel like I was too big to be a- an elite runner and and I, I probably was in the early days. And so losing weight um, did help to make me faster and I was able to do that, you know, while still um, having the energy to train. But, yeah, there were certainly times there where I, I took it too far and would restrict too many things, Um you know, if, if we went out as a group and all the guys were getting a sandwich, big sandwich for lunch, I would order half a sandwich. Um, or, you know, if, if we're going out and everyone was having a beer, I would have a soda water and just little things like that, that, that now I look back on it and I think, oh, just a few small changes. Um, and I would have been meeting my, my caloric needs, but, but I probably was, was in deficit, you know, a few too many times and, and ended up in training slumps or sick or injured, um, possibly as a result of that. So. Um, even as a coach, if, um, someone I'm co- um, coaching has a, a really flat patch in training or is underperforming, um, honestly, 50% of the time it is, it is underfueling and particularly carbohydrates. So, um, you know, it's still out there. It's, it's, it's probably, you know, pervasive in the running community, not just, um, in, in women, you know, relative energy deficiency used to be called the female athlete triad or yeah. something along, along those That's lines. That's what or it was called. Not a yeah. So, uh, but now um, as a coach, it's, you know, I feel like I'm in a good position to hopefully give good advice on, you know, overly restricting diet, particularly carbohydrates will get you nowhere. And, um, you know, we, we really need to fuel um, our bodies. We're, we're asking a lot of them. And so we definitely need to fuel well. And um, we, we work, you know, you know, with some really good exercise um, scientists, um, sports dietitians, and, if it gets beyond my level of expertise, I'm always happy to refer on to, to someone and, and we have great results with, mm. um, you know, sports dietitians. And yeah, so any listeners out there, if you're going through a flat patch in training and you can't work out why, just, just have a think about how much you're eating and, and look into it. And, and if you're not sure, talk to a professional because you may think you're fueling well enough, but you might be surprised to know how much we actually need to eat when we're, um, you know, running huge miles and, and doing all of the other training, like strength training and you know cross training, that sort of thing. The energy demands are are huge. Mm-hmm.
1: I always think about. It's interesting, isn't it? Because you you attribute that sort of sense of, and I don't know if it's it's not, it's it's normalizing actually. Because you know you think like I I looked at your website before, and there's a oh no not your website sorry it was it was an article, and there's a photo of you, Jake Robinson, Mo Farah. You know, you're running a race with those people. Um so and and you stand as a contemporary, obviously. And it's normal it's 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 just thank you for that sort of sense of normalization, that, that sort of sense of I don't know, it's just shame. And it's a subconscious or it's an unconscious, it's it's that kind of thing. It is pervasive where the sport is and especially, you know, thinking of UTA, the joy that was exhibited from you know yourselves, Ronnie, and the Polish uh, <laughs> Zatopek Z- 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 to, um, you know, the, the person who was last over the line. There's just a sense of joy throughout. It's, it's yeah, you know, it's a really great message. I think about Lance Armstrong, you know, when he was weighing all his food and he was really big on that. And I just think, you know, you're on the juice the whole time, man. So you weren't actually, yeah. you know, like yeah. <laughs> you could have been eating whatever. So, man, uh, thank you, I guess is, is, is what I wanted to say. Um. Yeah. No, you go. Oh, I was just going to say, like, and, and sort of how how did you conquer that? How did you sort of pull yourself out of that hole?
0: Look, I think it was um, – I had some blood tests, done, um, and I was working with um, Dr. Tony Butagi, who was my strength coach, um, but also a very knowledgeable doctor of exercise physiology, and he looked at some of my blood results and he said uh, – Oh, I probably shouldn't say the exact quote, but he said I I, I had less testosterone than a middle-aged woman, and uh, you know he, one of one of the outcomes of underfueling is low testosterone. And look, I think that that was possibly the final straw in, in just admitting that maybe just being skinny wasn't the the ideal, the only sort of outcome to look look for, and. Um, so I think I did a bit more research then and just realized oh, I certainly wasn't meeting my my energy demands and so um, started focusing on on it a little bit more and, and turn things around but I think it was also after the Olympics in 2016 um, I took a bit of a step back from uh, elite level running and and you know looked more at uh, you know my future as you know in a career sense and, and how I was going to provide for future family that sort of thing so running. I wouldn't say I didn't retire or anything, but running took a bit of a back step, and and I guess as a result of that, I put on a bit of weight and was eating a bit differently, and probably just got got healthier as a result. And then when I did start running a little bit more, I was a bit stronger, and and so it sort of it was it was planned to a degree, but also it then just happened as a result of um, I guess uh, taking a step back from sort of elite level uh, international track competition, um, and then I've managed to to carry that through now with the Morocco a more relaxed attitude and a less restrictive sort of approach to running. Isn't that um,
2: how, how good that that, how that set you up for the coaching that you're doing now, you know, that, that sort of healthier attitude to nutrition and, and, and being, I guess, being able to see the signs that figure of 50% astonishes me. Yeah. That's what's,
0: yeah. It's very common. Yeah. Yeah. Wow.
2: Wow. So thats is it that something as a coach you kind of keep a lookout for, or, you know, in terms of how your athletes are going and, and maybe it can be difficult to have that conversation?
0: Yeah, it absolutely can be. And and thankfully, you know, I try to have a really open and, and approachable and, uh, I guess, kind coaching relationship with, with the people I coach. So usually if, if there's a difficult topic that needs to be talked about, we've got a pretty good opportunity to do that. Um, but it can be tough because you can't tell just by looking at someone because there's so many different body types in running. And so, you know, the skinniest person out there might be eating more than the, you know, biggest person out there. And and so you can't just use, um, you know, Mm. visual, um, cues to, to determine when someone might be under fueling. It's, it's usually a, a performance, um, or mood, uh, you know, it, it, it's usually just someone saying that they're in a real flat patch and, you know, it might be recurring injuries, poor performance, um, you know, sleep, you know, inability to sleep can be a, a sort of um, factor that you can look out for, um, irritability. The trouble is all of those things, to a degree, go hand in hand with hard training as it is. So, yeah. you know, when, like I say, sometimes it is down to under fueling, other times it's just a, a rough patch of training and it'll come good. Sometimes there's, you know, other issues, hormonal or, you know, iron deficiencies. Um, certainly, you know, post COVID, there, yeah. there's some other issues there now, you know, hmm. the, the symptoms there can be similar, but look, it's, it's, it's an easy one to say, look, keep a diet diary for three days. Um, try to be as honest and as honest as you can be. Don't change it because you know, I'm going to be looking at it and often if they give me that I can say okay we've definitely got an issue here this is something that we can work on mm. you know and that might be when i then refer on to a you know a sports dietitian or it it could come back and be okay their, their diet is fine now we need to explore this a little bit more it's not it's probably not down to under fueling so mm. Um, mm. but you also yeah you need to be um it can be a tricky conversation and if if someone has a uh, you know a full-blown eating disorder you know that's once again an, an area beyond my level of expertise mm, so you yeah. need to know when to to refer on and, and support them through um, that journey and, and it can be a really difficult yeah. one
2: yeah that's a skill in itself knowing knowing when to back off and and yeah. call in the experts yeah just generally though how, how are you finding the coaching
0: oh i love it um i'm so glad i you know i started it as a as a bit of a side project um but now it's my full time job and i am so glad and and i feel so i guess um, grateful to be able to do that as a job and i think i'm tapping into a lot of you know what i learned at university what i learned going through my my own huge lifestyle change then what i learned as an elite level runner and and you know now when i'm i've been coaching sort of almost full time now for 7 years and and i'm still learning and still want to keep learning for for the rest of my career but um yeah, I, I can't think of a job I'd rather be doing, and, and it has some really tough times, but the highs are just so high. And and you know, UTA is a great example of just how good um, the sport can be when you're sort of on someone's team and and you've helped them to achieve a lifelong goal. It's um it's pretty special. Mm. And long uh, after, you know, I, well, I never plan on stop running, but stopping running, but eventually that might happen. And I'd like to keep coaching, you know, well into the future. And I'd love to end up a, a much better coach than I ever was as a runner. And, and so I'm sort of striving to, to achieve that.
2: Wow. Wow. How good is it seeing, um, no doubt you had runners in the fields uh, at UTA?
0: Oh, it's, it's awesome. Um, like Running it was cool. Winning it was fun, but I still think seeing other people um, like the emotion of them achieving their goal and achieving things they never thought they could or, you know, yeah, that, that, that sort of trumps any of my own, own performances, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, seeing my pregnant wife come second in the 11k was, was probably the, the top moment of, of, uh, the weekend, but, um, yeah, there were definitely some highs and, and yeah, yeah. look, coaching is awesome and, You've yeah. got to have a thick skin during the tough times, but just being able to be involved in the good days uh, is amazing.
1: Technically, she yeah, was that was quite some run
2: from her. Technically, she was yeah.
1: second equal, or maybe second and third, because there were two, <laughs> yeah, there, there were yeah. two
0: people there. Yeah, the bump out kicker.
2: her. Yeah. <laughs> hey, speaking of the Blue Mountains, uh, Matt, you've got some uh, a question from the Yeah, audience. we
1: did. So I reached out because you know you are you are popular, you are well known, and and I'm gonna so excuse the accent this probably sounds better in ben berryman's um accent so this goes and it's very alliterative uh so this talks about the december demographically divisive double are you aware of what that is you might need to fill me in so each december we have a local challenge that pits mountains geographic subsections as defined by the tradies ads in local paper against each other over two local free running institutions the december demographically divisive double the teams lower mountains center of excellent mid mountains market stall holders upper mountains goat herders banjo playing distance other northern cousins <laughs> have i lost you no i'm right. still there cool cool yeah we also invite the second tier lowlanders along to play. We race across. Oh, I think he's. Is he call? Cool? Hang on. We race across Saturday Lawson Park Run, Sunday Blue Mountains Joggers Handicap Run. His question that was quite a long lead in, even by my standards. As the commonly referred to boy from the Bullaburra, does it hurt that the mid Mountains Market storeholders underperform year in? year out. With the likes of Ben St. Lawrence, Brendan Davies, Joe Nevin, Mark Green all in their midst, the rest, the rest of us really should be chasing
0: silver every year. I mean, yeah, we can't, can't have that, so maybe we'll have to band <laughs> together as the Mid Mountains crew and uh,
1: <laughs> look into this double. I'm not sure if that was a question or I inadvertently called
2: you out. I'm sorry. Uh, I think I think Ben just sort of bought, you know, signed his own death warrant <laughs> <that's>
0: there. <right. laughs> yeah he he knows how to um how to fire us up i guess us yeah, people. Exactly.
2: <laughs> yeah i mean to asked for a pilot travel
0: Lawson park run is uh it's essentially a trail run it's probably one of the tougher park runs around the world um and that's a stone's throw from where i live so yeah we'll have to look into the dates of um this challenge and yeah, the blue mountains joggers is a the the ten k handicap run is a, a monthly ten k that's been going on since well before my time, and I remember going there and running it as a kid and um, looking up to some of the faster guys around the mountains. So, yeah, I think we might have to look into doing that double sometime. (laughs) I mean,
1: sort of international incidents aside, um, you know, provoking (laughs) turf war in the Blue Mountains. How? I mean, do you ever get – I mean, running is running, right? And some days I'm sure you're like, oh, you love it. And you have to be disciplined at it. But do you ever get sick of being in that environment? Being in the Blue Mountains? The running environment? or Just the Blue, the Blue, Blue Mountains, Mountains in no.
0: general. Yeah, look, no, I, I mean, I, I, as an 18-year-old, I couldn't get out of here fast enough. But it felt like, a, like nothing ever happened here. It was a retirement village. I wanted to get out of here and party and, you know, see what the world had to offer. But, then you know over the years coming back and realizing just how amazing um, the natural environment is up here how amazing the community spirit is and even the, the running community up here and now with um, a whole bunch of trail races and and i feel like so many more runners out here than, than i remember growing up it's um yeah my, my now wife and i moved up here about a year and a half ago and we haven't looked back um, we still travel into the city a couple of times a week for work but yeah, I can't can't imagine living or um, running anywhere else. I don't think I'll be getting sick of it um, in this lifetime.
2: Yeah, a m- magical environment, absolutely yeah. amazing. Was we it your first visit away. to the Blue Mountains? Yeah, yeah, hundred yeah, percent. Yeah, 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 And we just, um, and we've said before on the podcast, but the first run, we basically dislocated our jaws because we were just running around every corner, going "Whoa, whoa!" Uh, it was amazing. Um, yeah. yeah, and and even you know given obviously we could see the damage that the flooding's done and so on and the track closures and things, you know, that aside, um, you could see just what a magical environment it would be. Uh, the only thing I guess I'd wonder about is how on earth do you end up running track when you, you know, <laughs> <laughs> when you're it's the, it seems complete. How hard is it to find a flat bit to run on in, uh, in yeah, the Blue Mountains? It, it's very hard. You're pretty, isn't it? you it? pretty
0: much got to be on an oval if you want to run flat in the Blue Mountains. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Look, I, I heard you talking to Ben Berryman um, as part of your UTA rap and uh, oh yeah,
2: you know he mentioned
0: some of the the older running clubs up here who referred to it as bush running before it was trail running. We, growing up, I just referred to it as running. I didn't know that it was trail running, or you know, we we just ran yeah. on, on the the fire trails, and I lived on a dirt road growing up that, that had two k downhill to the turnaround, and then two k back uphill to home, and so. That was just running. And so, um, like I loved cross country. If, if UTA had been a thing here when I was growing up, I definitely would have done the 11 as a kid and and things like that. So it was just running to us. And I was, yeah, Mm. ended up as a, a track runner, cross country runner, ran steeplechase. But yeah, if trail running had been a thing growing up, it's definitely something I would have done. Um, not, uh, excluding track running, I probably would have tried to do everything. Um, I love I loved track running. And I love racing on the on the track, but um, yeah, around here, uh, it's very rare for me to not be running on the trail every day. Mm,
2: mm. You- and that—that's the thing. You know, we it's you know Arthur Lydia trained his his boys on on trails on the hills, and even in his later years when he was living out in East Auckland, they was you know every Sunday was out in the forest running. That was and like you say, they were just. They were just running they went they went yeah we can get tribal can't we about oh i'm a road runner i'm a trial runner but we're just runners yeah just doing the same yeah yeah, yeah.
1: and yeah. i guess it's that thing isn't it? it it goes into the and it's aspirational and we all love gear and stuff i mean i'm, I'm I, I picked up an out a magazine i won't actually name it <laughs> it's, a, it's a large a publication about the outdoors and uh they were talking <laughs> about um gravel shoes and i was like what don't tell me that we've got now another sort of another niche sort of you know thing to worry about because we all you know if we worry about our nutrition we're sure as hell going to worry about gravel shoes versus yeah. you know and they might have
0: worked out a way to get more money out of us yeah yeah absolutely yeah. Yeah, absolutely <laughs>
1: and probably very successfully as well yeah. I mean how you've almost answered the question but how important uh, sort of in your longevity do you think versatility has been you know just that or athletic from an athlete's perspective you know being versatile in what you do
0: yeah I think um I think injuries often occur when you're just doing the same exact motion over and over and over again and so I think running over hills and running over varied terrain um, it just changes each step isn't exactly the same as the last. And I think it, it builds more resilient runners. And, and, you know, like you say, Arthur Lydiard had, had his guys going over, you know, big hills. And, and you know, I think trail running, cross-country running, hill running, track running should be should be a part of almost everyone, whether you're running 800 metres through to ultras. Um, you know, try to running at different speeds and, and running on different surfaces, I think it will reduce your injury risk as long as you build up to, you know, the loads on each of those um, terrains and, and in each of those environments. But I think um, if you're doing things a little bit differently each day and, and working slightly different energy systems and different biomechanics, you're probably less likely to develop an overuse injury, but you're also probably going to get more, more training adaptations rather than just doing the same thing every day. So, um, you know, I if I was just out hammering track sessions three times a week now, I'm I'm sure my 41 year old body just couldn't handle it. So I do a little bit of track, you know, a little bit of threshold running. I work hills in there and then just good volume over, over varied terrain. And and that seems to be working for me.
1: Wonderful. Look, Ben, it's been incredible speaking with you really has. Thank you so much. We're so stoked that we got the chance to see you run. We got so stoked, um, That we've been able to get you on Dirt Church Radio, and we'd like to ask you the same question we ask everyone who comes on the show, and that's Ben St Lawrence. What's been your greatest run ever?
0: Probably, and I'm going to have to go to a track run here. And I do love to race, so I've had some amazing training runs. But my most memorable run ever was probably a a 5K in Melbourne, where I I didn't even win it; I came second. But it was a, a huge breakthrough for me. It was. Um, my 5K PB still 13:10, and I finished second in that race, uh, the 2011 Melbourne Track Classic. But I I beat my hero Craig Mottram. I beat a lot of uh, you know much higher credentialed runners. I ran a 15 second PB, and I think um, in terms of just that run as high, it's never been as as high as it was after that race. You know that was higher than any Olympics or Australian record runs. So yeah, that Melbourne Track Classic 5K in 2011, that's uh, my greatest ever run, but. Not by not by a long way. There were so many that, that, that could have um could have been mentioned, but yeah, I'll I'll have to go with that one.
2: Yeah. That was the Bernard Legat Race.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. Th- 13 Thirteen thirteen yeah. minutes hey, sorry.
1: S- Can we just say thirteen minutes ten for five K. <laughs>
2: How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you so, so much. We really, really appreciate it. Um, congratulations with the, the the baby on the way. Thank you. Um, and and the, the marriage. So, yeah, well done. Um, and we look forward to seeing you at other races ahead.
0: Yeah, awesome. Thanks for having me on and looking forward to um, catching up again in the future. Good morning. Cheers, mate. Cheers.
2: I'm a bit worried about this diplomatic incident that I think we've started. The yeah, yeah,
0: I think
1: I'll, i think be in Berryman's like, ha, 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 and then they're all yeah. going to like, so yeah. essentially Ben Berryman called him out via us, the patsies, and um, yeah, um they're going to... He's going to him and all his mates. Benson gonna, Lawrence, and,
2: Mark Green. <laughs> Brenda Davies. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> they're going to turn up and destroy everyone. <sighs>
2: Uh, anyway um ben thank you so so much that was an amazing amazing conversation and mm. yeah thank you for your honesty and and yeah the real talk it was you know one of those conversations where we got off and just went wow didn't we in fact we've had a few of those mm. lately but that was Absolutely. certainly another one
1: have the mm. same OJ. Mm.
2: Mm.
1: Look, yeah, thanks Ben, that was amazing and thank you all very much for tuning in. We're on social media at Dirt Church Radio. You can email us at dirtchurchradio at gmail.com. You can find us on all the podcast platforms, like and subscribe if you're fancy and you can download it from the website which is dirtchurchradio.com. Don't
2: forget to write in with your greatest friend ever. That time you did the Hillary, uh, the Hunua Hill, Hillbilly and the Half Hillary. Holy moly, that's hard to say. We'd love to hear from you and you can read them on the website too. Send them into us, dirtchurchradio at gmail.com.
1: Thanks to our sponsors, Scott Running, for the Fast and CLE. Thank you to our Patreon patrons and Wild Things and Currents. Thanks to our editor Kieran. Stay tuned next week. We've got another great show lined up. And if you're coming down to Tiano,
0: we'll see you all there. Heck oneada. <laughs> Thanks, Ripby.